Absolutely. I want you to open your Bibles with me to Psalm 103. I started several weeks ago on the theme, uh, O Taste and See That the Lord is Good. And as we did this series, uh, <clears throat> each week I was cooking up and serving a different course from a typical Italian banquet. And we had a lot of fun with that. And uh, as we came towards the end of the series, uh, or the end of that uh, psalm, I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me, continue on with Psalm 103. Well, the amazing thing about Psalm 103, Psalm 34, David says, Oh, taste and see that God is really good. Well, Psalm 103 David starts off by saying, praise God, bless his holy name, God's awesome. And then he says, don't forget any of God's benefits. And we've started to look at the benefits of God, how God has promised to look after us and how he takes care of us. And so we're going to start with verse 4 because we've been doing this verse by verse for the last few weeks. Praise the Lord, O my soul, O my innermost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Don't forget his benefits. Verse 4, he says specifically, God redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. God redeems your life from the pit and crowns your life with love and compassion. This is a fantastic benefit of God. And I want to break this down for you so that you can have an even better appreciation of what this benefit totally entails. All right? So if we were to look at uh, this word pit, in the original Hebrew, what David was saying is that God will redeem our life from shakath, a pit, especially a trap. A trap, they would dig a hole uh, to be able to catch wild animals. I actually saw this in the South Pacific. I was lecturing in the Solomon Islands, and uh, the local folk there would dig a pit, uh, maybe four feet, five feet deep, and uh, put sharpened uh, branch ends into the ground, and it had like uh, stakes, pointy ends on, on the top. And then they'd cover it over with banana leaves and things like that, and put some tasty morsel in the middle, and it would trap wild animals, and they'd fall into the pit. And that's how they would hunt. That was one of the ways that they would hunt. But you know, life has a way of setting up traps, and unsuspectingly, we get caught in the traps of life. And we end up getting broken. We end up getting wounded. We end up getting hurt. Every one of us have experiences in life where we have been cornered, where we have been injured, we have been brokenhearted, where the enemy has sought to get his claws into our lives. And sometimes 
It actually sets us on a journey. It alters our life and sets us on a journey. And sometimes that journey is not always a great journey. David says, one of God's benefits is that he will redeem you from the pit. He will redeem you from the trap. So if we can put that definition back up again for a moment, it can be a pit, especially like a pit, a trap for catching animals. It's also used in the Bible as reference to the pit of hell. The pit represents anything that will bring destruction to your life. The grave. How many of you have ever gone through life and you said, man, this is the pits, right? That's where the expression comes from, being in the pits. But what I love about this is that David says that God will rescue us from the pits. Now, I've been in a few pits in life, and I'm sure you've been in a few pits in life. And it is great to know that one of the benefits of God is that as we learn to love him, as we worship him, as we have relationship with God, God is the rescuer who will deliver us out of the pit. How many of you have ever been delivered out of any pit in your life by the Lord? Amen. Absolutely. And so the nature of God, David is saying, come on, remember the benefits of God. You've tasted, you've seen, you've experienced. I want to remind you, this God is a God who goes about rescuing those who love him and call on him and he will redeem us even from the pit. Whether the pit is a trap set up by people or a trap set up by demons. Whether the pit is eternal damnation. Maybe someone got you started in life and out of bitterness and hurt, you've gone from making one bad decision to another and to another. And as you look back over your life, you think, man, that, that experience in the earlier part of my life so wounded me, made me an angry person, a bitter person. And look at the decisions that I made. And as you look over the past, you'll see that a trap was sprung. And because of the hurts, because of the wounds, we end up making one unwise decision after another and it's like a booby trap. These traps keep going off. And we've all had that booby trap effect in our lives where we've gotten caught and then we get caught again, we get caught again, we get caught again. You see, the enemy is really good at setting up humanity. Jesus said this about the prince of the world the spirit of darkness. This is what Jesus said. There is a spiritual world. He said, and the prince of darkness has come to steal. He's come to kill. He's come to, de to destroy. Demons are very wicked creatures that are fallen. They're corrupt. They're a base. There's nothing good about them. And their sole purpose, according to the word of God, is to feed on people's lives and make their lives miserable. They're called tormentors. 
The Bible often refers to them as tormentors. Jesus said if you harbor bitterness in your heart and you don't learn to forgive, it's an open doorway for a tormentor to come into your life and harass you. And Jesus called them tormentors. He said, you'll be handed over to tormentors by holding grudges, by holding the thing that people used to hurt you, by holding that unforgiveness and an angst towards them. That's the trap. The initial wound is at the trap. The trap is that it messes up our head messes up our emotions to such a degree that it becomes hard to forgive and to let go. And we justify the lack of forgiveness on the basis of, well, they've never apologized, so of course I'm going to be angry at them. If they apologize, and what we don't understand is that we've brought many offenses to God ourselves, and God has forgiven us. And when people injure us and we hold on to that bitterness, and we hold on to that searing memory, and we breathe angry thoughts under our breath, the trap is that we are still holding on to the thing that took us down, and the tormentors will continue to torment us. All through life, life is set up, to take you down. You say, that sounds like a negative thing. No. God never intended life to take you down. But after the great fall, the world wants to talk about the Big Bang. I want to tell you, God created you and had a, has a vision and a purpose and a destiny for you. What science should be talking about isn't the Big Bang they should be talking about the big fall. Science talks about thermodynamics and the law of entropy. There is a law recognized by science in this earth. It's called the law of entropy. And that law is, it doesn't matter whether you take something from nature or you manufacture something. If you leave it to itself and don't influence it from with outside resources or energy, everything in life will break down and deteriorate. Look at me. God didn't create that law. And before the big fall, that law did not exist. And so all of life is cursed with this, with what science recognizes. There is a universal law of entropy and everything will die, everything will break down, everything will waste away. And God never intended that. And the reason why that law is here is because the ruler over the earth now is the prince of darkness. And Jesus summarized him by saying, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. He sets traps up in our lives. And he's always looking to take people down. And you've probably been taken down many a time. But I love the fact that David says, God, our Savior, is the one who will redeem us from the pit. 
I know there are many of you here that have been redeemed from the pit. You've asked Jesus in your heart. And sometimes I still stumble into a pit and he'll save me just before I stumble. And if I'm stubborn, I ignore him. I stumble in and when I realize what I did, he picks me up and redeems me from the pit. Amen. Listen, it's like having this constant guarantee around you. When you come, when you allow Jesus Christ to come into your heart, the Bible literally says you have been taken out of the kingdom of darkness. You've been taken out of that sphere where demons used to have the right over your life. When you ask Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior, literally, you get a change of passport. And you go from belonging to the kingdom of darkness to belonging to the kingdom of God's Son. And under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, one of the benefits of God is that he will redeem our life from the pit. I thank God I have been redeemed from the pit again and again and again and again. And there is no doubt in the future I'll stumble near a pit, but he will rescue me. Hey, I'm 62 years old. I can tell you I have, ton I have had tons of encounters with pits in life. And I thank God that I stand here today a free man in my emotions, a free man in my mind, a free man in every way because Jesus Christ is my deliverer. He is my redeemer. He has redeemed my life from the pit. If you can say so, give God a huge shout and a round of applause. Amen. But I've skipped over a word in this verse. I like going back to the original Hebrew or the original Greek so that we get it in the very context that it was initially written. And I've skipped over a word. It says, praise the Lord, all my soul, all my innermost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul. Don't forget his benefits. Let's go to verse 4 because that's where we're up to. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. The word redeems. I want to talk to you about that word redeem. Because this being Palm Sunday, even God redeemed his son from the pit. Jesus knew in his heart that God wouldn't leave him in the pit. He said, your holy one will not see decay. But the word before the pit is redeem. Let's look at that, the word redeem. In the Hebrew, this word redeem is the word gall. Now that's not like, oh, the gall of him. This is a Hebrew word, and in Hebrew it would be pronounced with, I'm sure, my American accent attached to it, uh, gall. It's like when you try to learn another language, you're learning Spanish, and anyone who's Spanish-speaking, and you're in their native country as a tourist, and you're trying to talk Spanish, and everyone's going, yeah, that's a gringo, <laughs> right? 
I go to Italy and I try to talk to my relatives in Italian and I think I'm doing really good and uh, I'll never pass for somebody who, whose mother language is Italian. I might have it in my DNA, but it's not in my tongue. The word here, gall, it means to redeem, to act as a kinsman redeemer, to avenge, to revenge, to ransom, to pay a ransom for, to do the part of a kinsman. Now, kinsman redeemer is a concept that we're not too familiar with in Western society. And so to really break this word down, redeemer, I want to tell you what a kinsman redeemer did in this oriental type culture that uh, the word of God is written in. So a kinsman redeemer is a guy who, there, there's a law that if, if, uh, if a man dies and his wife is left without any children, that the nearest of kin could come along and marry this woman so that she would not be a widow and continue the name of the deceased. And so, uh, kinsman redeemer. It was a really important and fascinating concept. I want to share a story with you about a, a lady named Ruth. Now, Ruth had married <clears throat> one of Naomi and Elimelech's sons. Elimelech had passed away. That's the father-in-law. The two sons had passed away. One of the sons had married Ruth. And Naomi comes back to her hometown of Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Same place that Jesus was born. And Ruth is in tow. Now Ruth wasn't a Hebrew. She was a foreigner. She was an immigrant. She was actually from the people or the tribe or the nation of Moab. And one of the things that Moabites did was that they worshiped this god, Molech, and they would actually sacrifice their children in the fire to appease this god made of stone. Well, Ruth, when she met her mother-in-law and her husband, uh, she converted over to the faith of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And when her husband passed away and Naomi decided to go back home, she said to Ruth, Ruth, you can stay here with your family. And Ruth turns to Naomi and she says, no, where you go, I will go. Your God has become my God and your people have become my people. And Naomi reasoned with her and said, girl, even if I could have another son, by the time he grows up, you'd really be a cougar. <laughs> I mean, he'd just be so young. And you'd have lost the opportunity to have kids. And, Naomi, and Ruth said, Naomi, I really have come to believe in Yahweh. And I want to follow you. I love you, Naomi. And whatever my fate is, that's okay. But I'm going to put my life in the hands of the God that you taught me about. And I'm going to go back home 
to your home, but it'll be my home. So Naomi does this. Now there's a law in the Old Testament that God allows specifically to help people that are downtrodden. And the law was that if you're a wealthy landowner, when you send your workers into the field, instead of going all the way to the boundary line of your field, you're to leave several yards and your, your servants would reap a harvest and leave that part of the field untouched. And the reason for it was so that the poor could come, not for a free handout, they could come and work that side of the field. Every borderline was left unharvested so that those who were poor could come, do a good day's work, and harvest as much as they want. And so here's Naomi, aged, and she has her daughter-in-law, Ruth, with her. And Ruth would go out into the field because now she's supporting her mother-in-law. Her husband, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, had passed away. Ruth's husband had passed away. Her brother-in-law had passed away. And it was just these two widows, the younger and the older. And Ruth loved Naomi so much that she would go out into the fields and work all day with the workers. Well, this rich, young, handsome stud named Boaz, he looked a little bit like me. You see, they did it again. Last week, that's all right, that's all right. I'm beautiful on the inside. I'm messing with you. I'm playing with you. So here's this guy, Boaz. Strong, handsome, intelligent, a business owner. Has many, many fields. And he notices this young lady, Ruth. And he says to his workers, he said, Hey, guys, I want you to deliberately, whenever you see Ruth, leave extra harvest behind so that she can gather up as much as she wants. And Ruth comes home after the first few days and she's just got so much grain. She says, look, Naomi, God has supplied. God has taken care of us. And Naomi starts thinking, she says, wait a minute, what field did you work in today? Do you know that guy, Boaz, he's, he's a bit of a distant relative and he's looking after you, girl. He's taking care of us. He's obviously heard about our plight, and he's going to look after us. So every day, Ruth would go out and work in the fields. Eventually, eventually, Boaz was so taken with Ruth. She didn't have anything to offer, except that here she was. She truly loved the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She loved her mother-in-law and showed honor and respect. She was a woman of diligence and perseverance. And he, she really caught Boaz's heart. And so according to this law of the kinsman redeemer, the closest kin had the right to buy Elimelech's property. 
Naomi's husband and sons, everything they would have inherited, the nearest kinsmen could buy it to keep the name alive. And so Boaz knew that he wasn't next in line, he was second in line. And so he invites the nearest kinsmen to come to the city gates where the elders would sit and they would listen to tribunal matters and they would pass judgment and give counsel. And here's Boaz and the next of kin and Boaz says to him, and if we had put the verses up, we'll read it so that everyone can actually see the scripture. This is taken from the book of Ruth, chapter 4, and we're going to start with verse 2 to 5. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and he said, sit here. And they did so. Then he turned to the guardian redeemer. This is the guy who, according to Hebrew law, had the right to redeem everything that belonged to Emma Malek. And now he would continue on and their name would be remembered rather than it just being repossessed and uh, squandered. And then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling this piece of land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. Okay, next verse. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of the town elders here, in the presence of the elders if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not redeem it, let me know. So, because, uh, for no one has the right to redeem it except for you. I'm the next in line, but I can't jump over your head. I'm the next in line. I want you to know the facts. You have the opportunity to redeem it. And so we jump down to verse 5, and Boaz says, uh, <clears throat> the gentleman actually says, uh, I, I apologize, we skipped a verse, and that's probably my fault. The gentleman says, I will redeem the land. I'll pay for it. N uh, Naomi's wanting to sell it. I will buy it, give her the money, and the land will be mine. Now, if we go back to verse 5, Boaz says, I want you to understand something. On the day that you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, her daughter-in-law. She's a Moabitess, and uh, she is the dead man's widow. And in order to maintain the name of the dead, you inherit her and you need to love her and take care of her as a wife so that the deceased's name can continue. At this point, Verse 6, at this the guardian redeemer said, then I can't redeem it. I don't want to endanger my own business affairs. If I marry the girl, I don't know what will happen. I don't know what people will think. I don't know if she'll bring me good luck, she'll bring me bad luck. And he starts weighing up all the pros and all the cons and immediately says, no, no, I'm going to take back my option. I don't want to buy the land I don't want to have anything to do with Ruth. And so then Boaz jumps in, and if we go on to the verse 9, then Boaz announced to the elders that were sitting at the gate, he said, since the next in line 
chose not to take this option. I am going to buy the land and I will take Ruth to be my bride. You see it there. Boaz announces to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon, these were the two sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are his witnesses. And so here we have this guy Boaz. He takes Ruth as his bride and takes her into his family. And this is a woman who, you know, here she is. She's, she's a widow, young lady, and uh, she agreed to follow the God of Naomi. She agreed to be faithful. She agreed to look after her mother-in-law, and Boaz steps in and marries her. Now, the amazing thing about Boaz is this is the term a kinsman redeemer. He steps in the next closest kin and he redeems us from the disgrace of uh, maybe going bankrupt. He redeems us from hardship. He redeems us from the trap that life set. I mean, what a trap Naomi and, uh, had been in, in that she lost her husband and her two sons, but a kinsman redeemer comes and he takes on whatever debt there might be, whatever bills might be owing, and he pays them out, he buys the land, and he creates a home for Ruth and the mother-in-law, Naomi as well. And what's amazing about this story is that's exactly what Jesus Christ did when he went to the cross. Jesus Christ is our nearest kinsman, Redeemer. He paid a price on the cross and redeemed us from the traps of the kingdom of darkness. He paid a price and canceled out all of our debt. Every debt to Rob Scarallo's name is paid in full in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And when you give your heart to Jesus, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how deep that pit is. It doesn't matter how many pits you have spent time in. Jesus Christ pays the price to redeem each and every one of us from whatever pits we have fallen into as a trap in life. I love that. I love that. Amen. Jesus is our nearest kinsman. And so here David is saying, you redeemed my life from the pit. And the word redeemed is the word gall, which is the very word used every time the Bible talks about a kinsman redeemer. God is our kinsman redeemer. And friend, I want to tell you, I don't care how screwed up your life has been. I don't care how many mistakes you've made. I don't care how badly life has mangled you. God loves you. 
Jesus died for you. And Jesus is a kinsman redeemer. He comes to help humanity and rescue them from the traps of life. And while the nearest kinsman looked at Ruth and said, no, you know what, I'm going to reconsider here. Uh, I don't want to damage or my reputation. I don't know what I'm going to be buying into here. I'm going to step back. I want to tell you, while others may not go the distance with you, and while others may not pay the price for you, Jesus Christ will always pay the price to redeem us and bring us back into relationship with God. Absolutely. What's really moving about this story is that Ruth and Boaz get married and they have a son. And his name is Obed. And Obed grows up and he has a son and his name is Jesse. And Jesse grows up and he has a son and his name is David. And David becomes the king over Israel. And through David's lineage comes the Christ who was born in Bethlehem to be our kinsman redeemer. But as awesome as this story is, we're going to go back one in Boaz's genealogy because Boaz's father is a guy named Salmon. And Jewish tradition teaches that Salmon was one of the two spies who were sent into the city of Jericho as the Israelites <clears throat> were coming out of Egypt they had been in the wilderness for 40 years, and now God was bringing them into the land of Canaan, the promised land. And Joshua sends two spies into the city of Jericho, this massively fortified city. And rumor comes that there are two spies in the city, and so the palace guards start hunting through the city to see if they could find these two men. Well, there was a prostitute, that's right, a prostitute, whose house was built right into the wall of the city. And she had heard about these two men, and they happened onto her, and she took them in. She said, we've heard about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and what he did in Egypt to set you guys free. He rescued you from Egypt. If you read in Exodus chapter 6, God uses the same word when he speaks to Moses. He says, Moses, I will redeem this people and take them out of bondage from Egypt. And the word is nearest kinsman. And so here we have this story. Joshua is now leading the people out of the wilderness and he sends two spies into the city of Jericho to check it out. And this prostitute is saying, everyone here is afraid of you Hebrew people because they have heard how your God has delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians. And then she said, make me a promise. 
I will let you go out my window and I will lower a rope at night so you can escape. But I want you to pray to the God of Abraham that he will spare me and spare my family. And when the walls of Jericho fell, Rahab was spared and Solomon, Boaz's dad, was the very man who married this woman who was not a Hebrew. She didn't have a great past. And he marries her and loves her and gives her honor and dignity. Boaz grows up as the son of Rahab, the prostitute, and Solomon, the spy who entered the city, a man of great integrity and a man of honor who took this woman and married her to himself. And she became part of the nation and the people of Israel. And in this story, what we see is Boaz imitates the honor of his father. He was so impressed by the love and the kindness that his father showed and the love shared between Rahab and his dad, Salmon. That here's Boaz now as a young man, probably in his 30s. He owns his own properties and he sees Ruth and he does the same thing. He becomes a kinsman redeemer. And he marries Ruth. And I think it's amazing that Salmon and Rahab, the prostitute, are in the lineage of Jesus Christ, who has come to be our kinsman redeemer. Amen. Amen. While this is Palm Sunday, Jesus knew in one week's time the same people who were praising him were going to be the people who would put him on the cross. Would you stand with me? As Jesus was on the mountaintop, the Mount of Olives, getting ready to make his famous to send into Jerusalem. He weeps and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, if you had only recognized as much as you're waving palm leaves and singing Hosanna, Hosanna to me. He knew that he would go to the cross in less than a week. He said, If you had only had recognized the coming of your God. And the shortest verse in the Bible is, and Jesus wept. Can I tell you something? God looks at the plight of humanity. And he often weeps. And he looks at the fact that he's forever trying to give people an opportunity. To have a kinsman redeemer experience. Jesus said, I will stand at the door of everybody's heart. I'll give this person an opportunity. If he says no, I'll wait and come back and give him another opportunity. And Jesus said, I stand at the door of people's hearts and I knock. I give them opportunity to understand and see 
that I love them, and I care for them. And Jesus says, if anyone, if anyone will open that door and allow me to come and live inside of them, there isn't a person I will reject, not one. If they will accept me, I will accept them. And I will be their kinsman redeemer. And I will crown their lives with honor. And I will love them. And I will always hold them in high regard. But Jesus stands at the door of our hearts and he knocks. You see, we have to receive him in to gain the benefit. You can't experience Disney World unless you're willing to go into Disney World, right? The benefit is when we let Jesus come in, we allow him to be our, our savior. We allow him to be our kinsman redeemer. And God says that he will redeem our lives from the pit. I love the fact that just like Boaz, just like Solomon, it didn't matter the past. They loved each woman irrespective of their past. And I love the fact that Jesus Christ is no less a kinsman redeemer. He's even more so a kinsman redeemer. He doesn't love me because of what I've accomplished. He loves me despite all the mistakes I've made in life. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone will hear my voice, anyone, any color, any culture, any background, whether you've been in jail for the 10th time, it doesn't matter. Whether you've been used and abused and you see yourself as nothing more than just a a rag in life. God says you have great value to me. And I, I will love you. And I will protect you. This is what we call being born again. Asking Jesus into our heart. While every eye is closed. If the spirit of God is talking to you. And you're not sure whether or not you've ever asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart. I give you that opportunity today to say yes. As we come to conclusion here this morning, this Palm Sunday, Jesus wept because the people didn't really understand who he was. Today you can ask Jesus into your heart and allow him to redeem you from the pits of life. Praise God. If the Spirit of God is talking to you, raise your hand right now and say, that's me, preacher. I want to ask Jesus Christ. Thank you. I see two hands there. God bless you. Three, thank you. You can put your hands down. Four, thank you. You can put your hand down. Who else wants to raise a hand and say, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I need you. Listen, I didn't have anything to offer God. He didn't, he didn't save me. He didn't bring me into his life because I had something awesome to offer. He came to me when my life was at the worst of the worst. And that's what I love about a kinsman redeemer. 
He looks beyond where we're at. And he says, I'm going to love you because of who you are, irrespective of the mess, irrespective of everything that has happened. I will love you because I see value and worth in you. Come on, if that's you this morning and you've never asked Jesus in your heart, raise your hand and say, Preacher, is there room for me? Thank you, thank you. Amen. Anyone else want to raise your hand? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Let's put our hands together for these that have said yes to Jesus today. Amen. The best decision ever. The best decision ever. I wish I could say I was in the prime of my life, uh, 21 years old. I'm 62 years old. I've traveled a few miles. And I'm going to tell you, without a doubt, I've traveled the world. I've done many things. This decision, without a doubt, the single best decision, the one decision I have never regretted, I have never lived up to my end of the deal, but he has. Even after he saved me, I've screwed up. I've made mistakes. So he didn't get a prize in my eyes. I got the win. I got Jesus. But to this day, he keeps telling me, Rob, you are precious to me, and I love you. I don't get that. I don't. I, I, I don't understand it with my noggin, but I understand it in my heart. He loves me. He loves you. He loves every one of us. Amen. I want to ask everyone to repeat this prayer after me, but especially those of you that raised your hand. We're going to pray. I'm asking everyone to pray this prayer. But I want you especially, you know who you are, and I want you to pray this prayer. We're going to invite Jesus Christ into our hearts. It really is that simple. If you open up your life to him, he will open up his world to you. Amen. Close your eyes. Repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for a kinsman redeemer. Thank you for loving me when I wasn't at my best. Thank you for taking all of my baggage and all the debts I have in life, all the emotional wreckage in me. You take it all. And I accept you, Jesus Christ, to be my kinsman redeemer, to be my savior. I welcome you, son of God. You died on the cross for me. Now come into my heart and live in me and help me to live in you. Forgive me of all my sins. I thank you, Jesus. That you see value and worth in me. I accept you today. Amen. Amen. Now, Holy Spirit, I pray, start to touch them. 
minister to their hearts. Let them know the genuineness of this moment. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you know how to speak to them better than I do. And you're the one who's been preaching to them. And you've customized this sermon right in their own hearts and in their own thoughts. And you've spoken to them. I thank you that you've even read their mail, so to speak. That's how personal you are. Now, Holy Spirit, for each and every one of them, I thank you today the blood of Jesus washes away their sin. The blood of Jesus causes them to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. I thank you, Jesus, that today demons no longer have a right over their life. Today they are becoming the sons of God, men and women alike. They are children of God today. And I curse the enemy who's cursed them all their lives. And by the blood of Jesus, I break your power. I break your power over them and release them from the curse. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. amen. Hey, church, I don't know if you remember what it was like the first time you asked Jesus in your heart. And maybe you were in a place like this for the first time and felt like you're out there all on your own. About five people today have raised their hand to ask Christ in their heart. Why don't you let them know what you think of them? Amen. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's awesome. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'm so proud of you. If you would, uh, as we go out to the festivities outside, there's free food. Uh, like I said, subs, hamburgers, hot dogs, and all kinds of activities, snow cones, and all those things that make you really skinny like me. But if... You have raised your hand, and you'd like to come and see me for a minute. I'd love to talk to you just for a moment. As for everyone, God bless you. Have an awesome week. Go and have some fun, and let's get ready to come back next Sunday and rock this place. Next Sunday, we talk about the fact that he is risen. The pit could not hold him down. God bless you. Have a great week.